So the night it happened, mm -hmm. the day, I mean, the day of go time, what, so, what were you feeling initially? So the strategy, to, to kind of answer your earlier question, then I will get to that. So the, the strategy was there was nine F-117s. So if you picture the helmet is, is Baghdad, um, and, and this is north, and we're looking, the, the camera angle is looking at, at the map of Baghdad. There were nine of us. Four were coming in uh, west to east. The other were coming in east to west. And then there was one lone ranger that had to go up north of town and go north to south through Baghdad to take out a command center that was up here north of town. Hmm. And that was one we had not been able to reach, and the cruise missiles weren't going to be able to take it down. It's a five-story building. So... Um, and even one F-117 couldn't take it down. So I had to come up here. I hit this target, um, put two 2,000-pound bombs in it, cratered about 60, you know, about 60% to 70% of it, went downtown. My second target was downtown. And then the other airplanes were all meeting to the exact second, 920 local Baghdad time, uh, all over ba downtown. And then there was wow. another airplane that was going to come up and hit the, the remaining part of the command center. Wow. So kind of finish the building off. So that was the overall plan. Um, and, you know, when you think oh. of, you asked about the, and then that, so that kicks it off and then B2s come in and, you know, then everybody else comes in after us. You talk about how you feel. Well, you're excited uh, that it's finally happening. Uh, Bush, understand that. President Bush kind of gave the uh, 48 hours to get out of uh, Iraq, otherwise we're coming in. Uh, so he did that Monday night and then, you know, this was Friday is when we finally kicked off the uh, shock and awe campaign. And you're excited to go do the mission, to mm -hmm. do what you've always, what you've been training for. You're excited that, and that you're lucky enough to literally be the one getting called for this. And then I, through um, a, a different circumstance, ended up with this, high this mission where I was going in first. I was originally the, going to be downtown and then be the guy that goes up and hits the target second, second on the and then ended building. up switching with my boss. So I was in there first, and then he went up second to, to finish things off. Um, but going out the door, you're, I would say it's exactly like many books have been written about, you know, movies made about, you know, you're, you're making a historical maneuver. And, you know, there's books that have been, the story has been carried in books and things and be talked about for a long time. But your personal feeling is, I don't want to screw up. Yeah. I don't want to let my buddies down. Sure. Because that's who I really care about. Mm -hmm. The strategy, sure. You know, I'm young. I, you know, I don't know if the strategy is going to work. I believe what we're doing as a country, but, you know, that's way above my pay grade, right? That mm -hmm. kind of mentality. But I want to make sure I go in and I hit my targets as I should, and then, you know, and then I'm ready to go the next night to go do it again. Is it all everything pre-programmed in the computer, the targets, lat long, everything like that? Everything is pre-programmed down to the exact second. Wow. So my uh, first time on target was 9-16-38. Uh, that was my command center time on target. That was exactly when it was going to happen. Um, I was flying along the Iranian border. Since I had to go north of Baghdad, I had to fly along the Iranian border uh, to go get north of Baghdad to then turn around and come north to south through Baghdad. Right, so bow up and come back so, down. Yeah, so I had a super long route where I was literally the only one there. Huh. And I was a beam Baghdad when the Tomahawk missiles hit right at 9 9 uh, p.m. smooth, so you see all these little pockets of, of, you know, explosions, which is us. And what altitude are you at at that uh, point? We generally stay between 20 and 25,000 feet. So when you think of an airliner, you know, that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, right? So when you think of an airliner, generally an airliner is at that 35 to 40,000 feet. So, you know, a little over less than half of that, I guess I should say. Um, but it's just like flying over a city at night. Yeah. I mean, it's, wow. it's pretty. It wasn't blacked out. You would think maybe that it should have been blacked out a little more. But anyway, 
that's up to the up to Iraq. Um, but uh, you know, there, it, it wasn't blacked out like you would think it would have been. Um, and all these explosions start going off, and then I see you know stuff starting to fill the air as far as muzzle flashes from the ground and anti-aircraft fire going up and surface-to-air missiles being launched. And because they don't, in, they don't like, know, but you're in your own little zone, right? You're in your own little world, and are you just so focused on the instruments and what's the f- actual glee actually going through your head? Well, it, it's weird because in this airplane, uh, the computers are flying it, and like you said earlier, everything's pre-programmed, so. And we talked, we talked beforehand about the, a funny nickname for this is the cockroach because it's, it only flies at night. And then when you fly, instead of straight lines, every little bit, in case you're not quite invisible, uh, you, change degree, you change headings by at least 30 degrees and you change altitude. So the airplane's doing this, but it's all pre-programmed. My hands are not on the stick and throttle while I'm going into my target, which is crazy, right? You would think... Everything is about flying the airplane there. It's not. The airplane's basically flying itself. And I come in to when it's time to actually employ the ordinance to make sure that I can identify that I have the 100% for sure the correct target. How do you identify? What are um, you looking through? You, you're looking through the bottom of the airplane has an infrared camera, if you will. And, well, it starts out the front of the airplane. You, when you're looking long-term, you're looking for a building, and you have a series of satellite photos on your leg that you've mm-hmm. memorized, but you also back up. And you're looking at making sure, okay, there's uh, nine, nine city blocks. I'm looking for this one. There's a bridge here. It's the second one over from that. Yep, yep, yep. Confirm I have the building. And then you move into closer pictures as you zoom in to make sure not only do you have the right building, but the right vent on the right building. Wow. You know, wow. So you're doing, that's your job is weapons employment. The airplane's actually kind of flying itself. So to take us back to when I was next to Baghdad and it's nine o'clock, the airplane's doing its thing. I'm literally a little kid like looking out the window <laughs> at Baghdad and you know, it's, I'm watching the, the clock in the airplane because you're blacked out so you, don't, you can't see your watch. So you have in the airplanes, you kind of glance at the clock and it's like five seconds, four seconds, nothing's happening, three seconds, two seconds, one second, then you look out and it's like, I mean, wow. it's just like crazy how precise everything was. Wow. Uh, and from there, because I'm going northbound around four, 450 miles an hour or so. Um, so I'm not there a long time to be able to watch this. Uh, but as I'm kind of watching Baghdad pass behind me, I'm seeing, you know, that's when I first started thinking all this stuff that is now filling the air. It's like, yeah, I get to turn around and fly through that in 20 minutes. Because <laughs> wow. that's exactly because I can see where I'm going to be. Now, um, isn't there was, so. an aspect of this as well? You were saying that when you get close enough to your target, communication drops off and you have no comms of the outside world? It, it's even before that. So different from any other war fighting that I, that I can think of, even a special ops team that's going in a super secret mission, they're at least going to be on a, a closed circuit network or something to communicate with each other, even if it's only a few of you. Uh, when In the F-117, as you do what's called stealthing up, you bring all the antennas inside the airplane. And you know, the, the tolerances on this thing to where oh. it goes in and then the tolerances, you know, the, 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 the structure closes where there's no, no seams or anything for a radar beam to, to pick up. You can't hear anything. So, and I would stealth up before, uh, south of Baghdad. So even before that nine o'clock, probably so 10 minutes to fly all the way back up. That. Yeah, so Make I you turn and fly back down. Fly back down, Jeez. flying through all this and hitting my first target, hitting my second target, and then flying outside of the, I called it the ring of death, well, everybody called it the ring of death, um, 
kind of the ring around Baghdad where he had burned some tires and there was some smoke. So you kind of get south of that. And then that's when you throw the antennas out and you check in. And that's the first time you've, you, you're hearing anybody. Other than that, it's just you all alone by yourself. And you don't know if other airplanes have been shot down. Uh, if there's an abort order, you would never get it. And that's what they always told you in the F-117 is, is they said, well, kind of the bad part of this is if we abort, if Rumsfeld called this thing off at 9.05, I don't know about it. I, there's no way to get to me. Is there any so. sense of peace or tranquility? You're there by yourself. You don't hear anything. There's not a lot of chatter. Is there any sense of calm? Uh, it's weird for sure. <laughs> um, I had the you just not knowing of what's going on out there, it, but it's okay. It's, it, it almost helps you focus on your mission. Right. Um, yeah. And then I was a Pulp Fiction fan, uh, still am. Uh, so I had memorized the Ezekiel 2517, the path of the righteous man. So I had kind of, you know, you entertain yourself, right? So I, I knew that this was going to be this way. Um, so when I went to drop on the first target, knowing that was going to be the, the first bomb from a manned aircraft that night, I'd, I'd memorized that, you know, it took me 43 seconds to say the full, full spiel. So um, so I was, you know, you would do things to, do, to make sure you hit the target, um, you know, came off the first target, look up, acquire the second target, you know, a couple minutes later, hit that. And then, uh, and then off target is when you kind of look around and realize, you know, I've, it's done. I, I'm do it's done. Yeah, you're right. It's, uh, I've, I hit my target. Mission accomplished. Um, and then right out the other side. And what I didn't know, um, which we didn't talk about earlier, you may have caught it in some books, but so there's nine of us on this attack. Right. I did not know until I'm off target, southbound, going back to the refueling track, only three of us made it across the target that night. Me meaning Three what? of the nine. The other six airplanes did not meet some timing sorts of things and they had to abort, so they didn't even go. So, so if they can't meet that time, they have to drop their bomb, they can't, it's over, they can't They can't late? even go into Baghdad to be able to drop so their bomb. Is that because of flight patterns and risk or is that just because we don't want to drop a bomb late because of whatever reason? It's mostly deconfliction and timing, meaning you don't want to, if you run late, you don't want to start messing, you know, you've seen the, so the plans. So only three of the nine on the first night made it to their time on target. Mm-hmm. No shit. Of the stealthiest airplane that's been ever been made. And like still what are one there. or two reasons the others did not make uh, it? I will, I will simply say there were some logistics involved <laughs> and some assumptions that were made. Um, so if, did, uh, if as an example, <laughs> if, if you're a planner and it takes 20 minutes to do something, or say, let's use the making a baby, you know, nine months to make a baby. And you, because maybe when you plan all this out, it'd be a little more convenient for everybody if it only took eight months. And you change that number and nobody catches it, it doesn't work, right? At some point, the numbers catch up with you. So there had been some assumptions made that were not physically even possible that cost the rest of the string, Ooh. you know. And by the time we knew it was happening, I never knew it was happening because I was first. So it didn't affect me whatsoever. And that was just night one. That was just and night this one. And this went on for another three, four days. Yes, and we fixed it after, you know, obviously it. fixed it instantly as it was going down. Wow. But I didn't know about it because I'm already up, you know, right. flying over Baghdad, you know, on my way to Baghdad by the time this starts happening. And imagine my surprise, because I think nine of us were there and, you know, stuff's blowing up when I hit my second target. You know, you can see stuff blowing up and, and it's like, you know, yeah. And then I come find out there's actually only three of us there. 